Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. On today's episode, my guest is Dr. Sunil Raheja, the author of Dancing with Wisdom. Dr. Sunil is a psychiatrist, coach, and wisdom seeker. He works with senior leaders and clients who feel stuck, empowering them to re-engage with deeper purpose. You can learn more about his work in the world at drsunil.com. In the conversation, we discuss the examined life, the role of responsibility, how to find clarity, wisdom in daily life, and so much more. I really enjoyed the conversation. Sunil is a true seeker of wisdom, and I'm grateful that he came on to share it. Without any further delay, please welcome the wise and gracious Dr. Sunil Raheja. Sunil, welcome to In Search of Wisdom. Well, great to be here, Joshua. Thank you for your invitation as well to, to be here with you. It's a pleasure. I was, I've been looking forward to this. I know last time we connected, had some technical difficulties on my end, so greatly appreciate uh, rescheduling and uh, and happy to have some extra time to to think about some of the topics and concepts discussed in your book, which we're going to be talking about, Dancing with Wisdom. But before we get into the book, could you share a little bit about your journey, your own search for wisdom, if you will? Wow, yes, absolutely. Um, I suppose it really starts, it's funny, it starts a long time ago. I think I came as an immigrant child from uh, India to England with my parents back in, well, uh, well, way back in the last century, in 1968, just as a barely a toddler. But I came speaking Hindi, and the wisdom at that time was only speak to your child in one language or they'll get confused. And so my parents only spoke to me in English. I forgot my, all my Hindi. And I grew up feeling, well, being told and feeling that my true, my true country was in India. And by at school, everybody would tell me that, you know, you're, you're Indian, you belong there. And eventually I got to India when I was about eight years old, but found out actually I didn't fit in there either. And people told me that, actually, no, you're not Indian, you're, you're, you're British. And so a sense of being an outsider, always on the fringes, has followed me all my life, which I've chafed against, which I've struggled with. But actually, in my later years, I've come to embrace and accept that's my calling. But also, it makes you wonder, you know, how do you fit in? How do you understand? How do you relate? Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's part of the, in a sense, uh, the journey of wisdom that I've been on my, in my own life. Uh, coming as an immigrant child, not really understanding British culture, not knowing what the right way to relate is. And, and yeah, right through. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I you know, again, growing up, Again, coming as an immigrant, so many immigrants around the world, education is looked at as as the way to wisdom. So doing well academically, getting into medical school, becoming a doctor, but then really becoming quite unstuck there as well, because um, just basic, barely scraping through medical school, um, becoming a doctor by the grace of God, but then uh, taking up psychiatry, and you know, they say psychiatry is the Cinderella of medicine, and I ended up in Lonesbitties, which is the Cinderella of the Cinderella. And so always on the fringes, always trying to work out how do you make sense of life. Um, yeah, that's, an, you know, I, I started a, a a blog and a podcast, and the theme was making sense of life, and which is really what wisdom is about, making sense of life. Um, 
And so in a way, it, it's something that, that's never left me. Um, and it's always been there. Uh, and, you know, my daughter got married two years, almost, two, almost two years ago. And, you know, you do, you do the father of bride speech. And I realized we'd named her Sonia, which is from the Greek Sophia, which means wisdom. Um, and so I thought, wow, this is something that <laughs> has really, I've been fascinated by all my life. So there you are. That's a long answer. I don't know if you're expecting that, but that was a long answer. So why wisdom? No, I, I love it. And I would, I'd love to stay here for a bit on this, this idea of searching for, for wisdom, making sense of life. As a psychiatrist, how do you make sense of maybe, if you will, some sort of inner call to wisdom or some sort of what seems to be like insatiable curiosity that can kind of bite people, if you will? Wow. Well, in a sense, we live in a world that's increasingly... I'd say cynical, complex, chaotic, and confusing. In many ways, it's always been like that, but it seems to be even more so. Um, and we're presented with challenges that we, it's not clear often which, 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 which the right way to turn is, what the right way to do. You know, it's, it's like in, um, in, in relationships, if I give that example, you know, I'm, um, uh, I've been very influenced by by the by the Bible's um, interpretation of wisdom, and in the Old Testament, there are two proverbs back to back. First says, "Answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes." And don't answer your don't answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll become like him. So they're saying opposite things. You're in a meeting, somebody says something which you think is really foolish. Do you say something in the meeting, or do you say nothing? And really, you need wisdom because it depends on the context, it depends on the subject, depends on how much you know the people, depends on who else is in the room. So many variables that you can never work that out. I mean, that's that's that, that, that's one part. You, you, but you, your question was as a psychiatrist, and I think for me, one of the big things is that in psychiatry, we have the medical model with the, with the way we look at people. And, and then, you know, that, that, you know, body, you know, looking at sort of as, as a whole person. And I'd say that we are such complex beings with such an intricate number of choices. It's, um, it's fascinating. It's a, it's a hugely fascinating area because two people, two people can be in the same circumstance, go through the same, as it were, trauma, and they can respond in completely opposite ways. You know, someone's a child, of, say, of an alcoholic and says, well, I'm going to be alcoholic as well because my, because, because my dad was an alcoholic. And somebody else says, well, my dad was an alcoholic and I'm never going to touch alcohol ever again. I'm never going to go near, you know, near any alcohol. And I'm going to, you know, avoid all all substances, complete opposite <laughs> responses. Now, why does one person respond one way? Why does the other person respond the other? I mean, that, that's, I think, you know, one of the fascinating things about us, us as human beings um, and uh, really makes me very interested in, you know, I'm a psychiatrist and a coach and always fascinated by why people do what they do. Yeah. It is so interesting, um, as you mentioned there in, in your story of not necessarily fitting in, you know, in your experience, in your work, maybe there's not, you know, identical universal experiences, but maybe there's some common themes of that not necessarily fitting in or or not feeling 
uh, enough, if you will. Yes. No, I know. I, 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 I see what you're getting at. I mean, for me, it was quite obvious in terms of being as an immigrant. But then what I've realized as I've got older, as I've talked to a huge variety of different patients and clients, is that all of us feel about that in some way or other. And it might not be obvious or apparent, um, but for the individual, it can it can be a big thing. You know, the way I sort of think of it is like major surgery and minor surgery. You know, you've got major surgery as in terms of a heart bypass or a liver transplant or something like that, and minor surgery might be a blood test or um, just uh, a, a very sort of simple procedure. But if it's your body, it's all major surgery, regardless of what it's objectively. And so what might appear as a relatively minor thing to an outsider, for the person concerned, it can be huge. Um, and you don't know un- unless you really get to know the person and find out what, what's going on beneath the surface. And so the impact of, of that trauma, if you like, whatever it is, um, can be so variable. That's a helpful insight when it's your own body. You know, it's it's all a, a major surgery. Yeah, it's interesting to transition into the into the book, and maybe this this connects. But you quote Socrates, and you talk about living an examined life. Socrates also said this thing of of know thyself. Well, he didn't say it, but he's basically quoting what he what he read at the Oracle. How does that come into play in our own search for wisdom, making sense of life? And I'm curious to throw a part two to this. As a psychiatrist, you know, is it possible to take that examine life thing too far? Great question. So I think when when Socrates and others talk about the examined life, I think you know, and, and, and the quote isn't it is, is is it the unexamined life is not worth living? This ability to self reflect, to be self aware, to think about one's own thinking, to project oneself into the future, are uniquely human abilities and are responsible for you know the amazing advancements that that, that we that we've achieved as a species. Um. And that is wonderful and, and that is great. Um, the other side of it is, though, is that if it's just me, and it goes back to this issue about subjectivity, and am I the sole d- decision maker as, as in terms of what is a right course of action? We need some kind of objective measure outside of ourselves that isn't dependent on, on my feelings or on my sense of what is right or wrong or what is a, a, the right path to go. Augustine talks about the two great, you know, about t- two great things to know. The one is knowledge of self, but the also is the knowledge of the creator. And so if we have the two together, then I think that really, in a sense, is, as it were, brings it together, really. I think that's, that's the key thing. Um, so absolutely, you know, you, the unexamined life is, is, is not worth living and, and the importance of self-awareness, the, import, the importance of being able to stand back from oneself and say, this context demands that I behave in a certain way. Um, I naturally wouldn't do that. You know, you know, it demands me to speak up. Naturally, I would hold back. But actually, 
the circumstances mean I should speak. That takes all takes self awareness. Um, then, but find, finding the courage and the conviction to do that as well, that requires, you know, depending on the, on the bigger the issue, I think more and more outside help. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And I think that's in the sense of um, the, the bigger existential questions as well. How does one begin? Maybe that's not the best question, but when it comes to knowing yourself, self-awareness of getting beyond maybe those initial labels, getting to some sort of deeper level of, of knowing yourself. Does anything come to mind there? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot, you know, the, the there are a lot of tools that are available. I mean, I, I particularly found helpful, you know, uh, I mean, I've used it with a number of my clients and found it so useful is the, the Enneagram. There's, there's Myers-Briggs, um, you know, there's all these sort of personality profiles that are out there. And I think what's helpful about them is regardless of whichever one you, you take is that they, as again, it goes back. It enables you to stop and think about why you're about uh, about the way you instinct instinctively re- react or respond. I mean, another is it's just come to mind is is Colby is, is another one as well. But they their approximation. What I say is the map is not the territory. So they are the, so they're they're a good fit as to what the territory is out there, but they are not the actual territory itself. Um, but they're very powerful. I mean, I've, I've particularly found the, the Enneagram particularly useful in, in this because it tells you how you um, how you would, in a sense, respond when you're under stress or when you're doing well. But I think, again, the power of all these things is that you stop and you say, well, this is how I normally would would, would, would respond. But is this actually the best response in, in this context? I heard you talk about in a, in a recent podcast that you did of – maybe searching for wisdom of helping someone to come fully alive, quoting St. Ignatius. What, what do you mean by coming fully alive? Wow. Okay. So I think it's, I think it's, it's thorough. who said that most people live lives of quiet desperation and die with their songs still inside of them. And for me, again, I, I I can talk from my own personal experience as well, is that when I, hit around the age of 40 a long time ago now <laughs> is that I I, uh, I in a sense achieved a lot, a lot of my goals that I wanted to do in terms of successful career became a consultant I um, happily married uh, actually it was before I was 40 actually it was 2001 so I was about 36 a little bit younger than that yeah and achieved everything that I wanted you know financially doing well yeah, on the surface, everything looked good. But there was this inner sense of restlessness that there has to be more to, to, to life than this. Um, and this sense of being fully alive means really absorbed into everything you're doing, excited about getting up in the morning, not feeling you're going through the motions, a sense that um, I've got something to conjure, I'm, I'm, I can make a difference to people. Um, yeah, living life to the full, you know, in every way. Um, not, I think, because I think it's one of the big challenges as, as we get older. It's very easy to allow cynicism to, to step in. It's very easy to, 
become cynical about the motives of others. Um, you know, and you look at the world. I mean, there's some terrible things happening, and you see the and you're more and more of the brutality of, and the way that people can behave. You're aware of you, in your own life of people who are, who have hurt you or upset you and done things that have disappointed you, and it's very easy then to draw back and to say because I've been hurt, I'm going to, as it were create a protective shell around myself and I'm not going to allow myself to be vulnerable. I'm not going to allow myself to um, be too open with people because they can hurt me. The problem is when you do that, a part of you dies and you lose that zest and joy. And, and, and I mean, children are a lovely example of that. You know, it's, you know, a four or five year old, six year old, uh, who's, who's just able to enjoy living. He's able to embrace everything. You know, every, every day is, is a new adventure um every you know a flower is is, is is something of a fascination and i think as we get older the challenge is 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 to be realistic about the the pain and the problems of, of life but also to maintain and to keep and to grow in that childlike wonder and simplicity i think that's the challenge that we have and that's what, that's a sense of being fully alive I mean, you know you just don't need to look at children who are who are well adjusted who who just who have that zest for living yeah and i think it was ignatius of loyola said that the glory of god is is a man fully alive or a man or woman or, you know someone who's fully alive who's really excited about what they you know who lives in awe and wonder and reverence um for the life they've been given it's so fascinating and really beautiful as you talk about, you mentioned there, young people. I have I have younger children myself. And reading towards the end of your book, there's there's something about you know dreams and potential and things like that. And I I had a a recent conversation with a friend and was talking about you know you think of the eight or nine year old and they have this beautiful sense of, of potential of the, the eight year old that's playing basketball thinks that if they want to play in the NBA someday or something like that, that they can do that. Yes. But as you navigate life and, and, and maybe it's cynicism and life has a way of, of battering you, you around a little bit, you can start to lose that potential for yourself and and put these i don't exactly know what you would call it but um it's an interesting thing and that that connects with with me as as what you were just talking about of of being able to i guess be open to to life yeah i think absolutely and i think going through that sense of disappointment and discouragement i think it's part of the journey it's 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 you know things have to you have to feel that. Um, well, who's it? Is, it? is it Oliver Wendell Holmes? He says, I, he says I, I wouldn't give a fig for simplicity on this side of complexity, but I give everything for simplicity on the other side of complexity. Mm. So the ability to, as it were, to engage with the reality and brutality of life and come out the other side wiser but still with a childlike wonder and curiosity and joyfulness 
in a sense, that's what we're, we're seeking for. And I personally can't see how you cannot do it without a deep understanding and a relationship with, with the creator. You know, in the Old Testament, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And fear not in the sense of being terrified and cowering, but in the sense of a, a reverent awe and wonder. Um, and that, that reverent awe and wonder, and the, the, the definition I love it is the, the reverent awe and wonder that increases as I relate to my creator, as he actually is, not as I imagine him to be. So it's engaging with reality, with all its brutality, and seeing I, I don't have the whole picture. And I think maybe that's part of the problem that arises for us, is that we have this insatiable curiosity. So we want the answers. We want to, as it were, dot all the I's, cross all the T's. I don't, I don't know if you use that phrase in the US, but you know, we, we, we want to get all our ducks in a row. We want to have everything organized. We want to have um, a full intellectual understanding of everything. And yet anybody who's an expert in their field will tell you that the more they know about a subject, the, the more they realize, the less they know. And so you've got to have that space for mystery. You've got to have that space for, I don't have all the answers. And that's okay. It just, you know, you know it's, it's a bit like we study the universe. We, we you, know, uh, you know, I think, was it David looks, looks, at, looks at the stars and, he's, and, and he says, you know, how amazing the stars are. I think it's in Psalm 8, when, when, when he looks at the heavens and, and, and he sees, you know, I think Psalm 19, the glory of God. You know, he, he, they talk about the heavens declare the glory of God. Now, he, he was saying that 3,000 years ago. Now we look at the stars and heavens now, you know, this recent telescope that, 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 that's, that's gone up. And it's even more amazing. It's even more mind-blowing than 3,000 years ago. It hasn't our understanding, you know, all the technology and all the advances we've got about the universe is even more staggering than when we started, not less. And I think one of the big, as it were, uh, myths that came from the Enlightenment was that if we keep on growing in our technology, if we keep on advancing, you know, we'll become supermen or super people. You know, we'll, we'll end wars, we'll end conflict, we'll end, you know, we'll somehow create this utopia and our top technology will do that. And I think what we're discovering is that, you know, the more technology we have, it, it, it doesn't actually solve our basic problems. Um, you know, to put it simple, simply, is if you educate a crook, what do you get? You get an educated crook. <laughs> so he might not be stealing from, from the shop down the road, but he'll be doing it and, you know, he'll be doing sophisticated internet, internet crime or, you know, looking for ways to, you know, um, exploit people through, through technology. So it's, it's that, inner transformation uh that, that we ultimately need it's it's so funny when it comes to the idea that that you talked about of as knowledge grows you know doubt grows at at the same same time i think goethe said something and and many people have, have said something on that that definitely it feels true for me it, in terms of this search for wisdom um you know 100 episodes into this podcast and I definitely feel that I, <laughs> I know no less than when I, when I started, uh, which is so, so interesting. I want to ask a question. Wait, 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 no, I, I, I tell you, you don't know less than you started. I think you, there's even more that you, that, that you realize that, that you don't know. I think that's, yeah, I think yeah. it's probably more. Yeah. Like that. Or it's, 
I suppose maybe what's changed is it, it goes back to is that is that if you have the wisdom that somehow or other, you know, you'll have this kind of sort of Zen like calm because because now you understand. But actually, you're a human being, so it, yes, you ha- you know you, you have a, a greater humility about about what you don't know, and there's a sense of of peace that comes from that. But you still have to deal with with the kids <laughs> in the morning. You still have to yeah. deal with everything else, you know. With life, yeah. How do you think about when it comes to knowing things, as you were talking about, like, you know, space, different things, there's maybe a lot of things that we know more about today than we did a thousand years ago. But something that stuck with me is is Anthony DeMello writes in his book, Awareness. I, I love love that book. And he says, when you label something, understanding stops. He says, like a kid is is looking, a young child is looking at this bird, and you say, oh, that's a pigeon, you know. And and he brings up these examples of we label something, and then it's, you know, it almost takes away the the excitement and maybe the awe and, and wonder. Yes, and I suppose we need to do that to function in the world. We need we need labels to to get by and, and, and to function, um, but as yeah, but it, it goes back. Yeah, I mean you know a pigeon. You know we we call it, and yet you stop and you look at the pigeon and you think, wow, you know this this little bird can can fly in the sky and the way it's created. So it, it it's it's holding an intention, isn't it? I, I suppose it, it it it's not either or, it's and, and I think that that's. Um, is it Scott Fitzgerald who said who said the mark of a first rate intelligence is the ability to hold two conflicting ideas at the same time and still and still be able to function? It might be Fitzgerald, it might be Wittgenstein, one one or the other. But the point being is is I think that's where the is is holding conflicting apparently conflicting things and still being able to to um, to marvel and to see the tension between the two. And that goes so much against, you know, our world, which just wants sound bites, which wants quick solutions and quick answers and doesn't want to dig beneath the surface. Uh, It's too scared to go beneath the surface, too insecure to go there. Um, But that's where the beauty and the mystery lies, I think. Yeah, I think that's really been an important theme through many of the conversations on this podcast of of these opposite the polls i've seen that particular quote attributed to a lot of different people but this the idea of um heraclitus this philosopher before uh, socrates talking about whatever i say the opposite is also true or these conflict of opposites once something gives rise you know it brings about this this opposite pole is uh so interesting but it it puts into this one of the a long list of categories of maybe simple but not easy to actually do and and navigate you know in the in the everyday life with let me let me ask if i if i could here i, I think it connects to it but you you raise something in the book that is uh really important and not often brought up uh, uh, from the serenity prayer. There's this common serenity prayer, and you talk about the second part, which uh, I completely agree is so valuable and important, 
and you know why is it why is it left off maybe just for for brevity's sake but one of the line one line is in it it says taking as jesus did this sinful world as it is not as i would have it how do you think about you know the idea of, of acceptance around the imperfection of the world and ourselves there's like this this idea of of maybe accepting that you know imperfection in the world as it is not as i would have it and so there's something there about enjoying the present moment because all we've got is the present moment you know the past is gone and the future you know we can't presume on it on it um so this thing about enjoying this present moment in all its, as you said, in all its imperfection. And also, I suppose, taking my, as it were, taking my taking my hands off the steering wheel and saying it has to go the way that I want it. And so much tension and frustration happens because we think life should go one particular way and it's going another way. And it's not going, you know, I'm, I'm a recovering control freak in this. You know, I, it has to go my way. And it's very easy to become angry and frustrated with life, with God, with ourselves, with other people that it's not going that way and saying, actually, no, I embrace that imperfection. I trust that there's a bigger plan and purpose behind this that I can't see. Um, And I think what we've lost in our Western secular culture is this sense of, um, of eternity. I think what we, what we tell ourselves is that life is that when I die, I stop existing and then that's it. But if I tell myself that, that means I've got to cram all my understanding, everything into this life. I've got, I take away the mystery. And it's, it's, it's again, it's back to the enlightenment. It's only because I can measure it. I can, I can feel and touch it. Only those things matter. But, you know, you, you can't, in a sense, feel, touch or measure love. You can't, you know, you can't, there's, there's so much that, that's beyond our awareness. And I think particularly, is, is it Macbeth who says, you know, is, is, it a, is life a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing? And, it, and what our Western secular thinking doesn't want to say is that if this life is all there is, then actually it makes everything else meaningless. But if there's an eternal perspective, that it means that there is a significance to everything that I do. And that in some profound, mysterious way, the choices I make, the way I live, uh, the way I love and serve others, or I don't, has has much bigger ramifications than even I can imagine. Um, and I think that's that's the tension. So living in the moment and enjoying the moment in all its imperfection, whereas trusting that there is actually some bigger master plan behind all this um, that is beyond my understanding, and I don't need to understand it all. But I think the key, and as you know, in a sense, from a biblical Christian um, understanding, is that. Wisdom is actually is, is not about what you know, it's about who you know. And so the wisdom actually comes ultimately in relationship and it's in relationship with our divine creator. Um, and in the, Paul in the New Testament 2000 years ago, he talks about the Apostle Paul, he talks about Jesus as our wisdom, is, is the wisdom of God. Um, and so what's it become exciting about that is that it's actually relationship is the key to the universe it's not knowledge it's actually relationship 
um, and it's growing and deepening in that relationship with all its mystery and complexity. You know, uh, both of us are married, you know, and we, we married our wives. Well, my, I married my wife in how many years ago? Well, I think we just had our anniversary. So 32 years ago. And I knew her then. and I know her now. And I'm, but I know her in a much deeper and richer way than I did when, when we first got married. Um, and there's something, you know, and I loved her then and I love her now, but the love I have for her now is, is much more based in reality than it was in the fantasy that I had when, when, when we got married. Um, that's, so there's something about that. I think it is, is that wisdom is actually, it, it's great to have, it's great to have these, these great teachers and, and to learn from them. Um, but then we've got to basically earth it in reality of, of the complexity of our own lives. I mean, you know, another analogy is, is before, where before we had kids, I read loads of books on parenting. And then, so you had, I had a lot of theoretical knowledge, but then when you have the children, it, the actual reality of having children and the theory of, of what it means to bring up children are two different things. You know, I can read all the books I want, but then it's actually having the children and, them challenging you during the day and all, all sorts of things that then really puts it to all the theory to, to the test. Yeah. It is interesting that that gap between theoretical knowledge and putting it into practice in daily life. It seems in my own experiences, we can underestimate how big that gap is. But I, I wanted to say, as you mentioned there, uh, 32 years just had an anniversary. Congratulations on that, Sunil. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. We've talked about love. You've mentioned love a few times. We've been talking about wisdom. And I have to say, one of the reasons I think I started this podcast was partly for my own curiosity, but it's also... The word wisdom just doesn't come up much in society. And I would say the word love as well. And I've been thinking recently about, you know, it's like so many things connect to wisdom. So many things connect to love. This is like a million different ways to say these two terms. And I've been thinking about them almost as as two sides of the same coin, you know, wisdom and love. How are you thinking? I mean, does that connect with you of the just many different ways to say the word wisdom? Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly it, it's certainly lacking in our in our society, I think, because we want quick answers. And so many of our relationships are so often transactional, rather than, um, well, covenantal or loving you know we, we're seeking to think what we can get out of people and and then we just move on um actually yes that's a very good point because i think ultimately wisdom should lead to love you know it, it's interesting I, I i think we need it more than ever th- than ever before um because the world is just so so confusing and, and chaotic and i think what we thought in the past is that if i had knowledge if I had the knowledge then or the information or the education, then I would be able to, to find a way forward. But now we, because of the internet, we've got an infinite amount of knowledge and education and information, but that's not enough. How do I 
filter that? How do I decide what to focus on or what to ignore? That that needs wisdom. Um, but then if I have that, there's the moral element, and the and the element is is what's what's best for for myself and for others and for society. What's the most loving thing to do? That's that's another question as well. So it's interesting, actually. Yeah, wisdom and love is the two sides. I think is um, yeah, that, that, that's that's quite perceptive, really. Yeah, and I think was it? Uh, I think it's again the Apostle Paul says, "Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up." And there's a danger with knowledge. You know, kids say, don't they? Oh, I know that. Well, you may know it on an intellectual level, but do you truly know it that you're actually living it and embodying what you say you know? Um, and I think we emphasize the intellectual and, and, or the theoretical, as you say, but the actual outworkings of that is um, is another matter. You know, as you mentioned, you know, I've worked as a psychiatrist and often what you know when 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 we've had um scandals or, or problems with 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 patients or with our systems and processes the response is we need more training um but training per se isn't isn't the way forward it's actually a, it's actually much deeper than that just if i go on a training course then i will then know um it goes back to what i was saying earlier you know is it is it if, if the heart isn't changed then it, it's not going to solve anything. If you educate a crook, what do you get? You get an educated crook. That's that's what you end up with. Um, but I think our society is very reluctant to actually explore the, the fact that there is objective truth um, because we become so subjective. It, it's my truth and your truth, and um, but there's but there's nothing that's objective. And then we, we we come unstuck because we have to deal with issues like like evil in the world and. And, and actually saying that things that certain things are wrong, um, I think that's part. That's 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 in a sense what what wisdom shows us. Otherwise, everybody is living by their own rules. Everybody is 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 doing what they think is best or what they think is right in their own eyes, um, and that's always dangerous. Because then it becomes might, might is right. But whoever is the strongest is the one who wins. It's really interesting what you bring up about training. I, w- I wanted to ask about when it comes to searching for wisdom, this this idea of responsibility. You talk about G.K. Chesterton's response to the question, you know, what's wrong with the world? You know, I I am, which is it's not a small thing. Like the, there's so much wisdom in that, and I I jotted down a, a quote of um, Saint Augustine where he talks about, you know, God supplies the wind, but you have to raise the sails. There's this idea of, you know, you have to walk the path. So it's like this idea of training or whatever it may be of, of, of listening, but that has to be paired with some sort of personal responsibility to walk that particular path. Um, which is which is fascinating. How do you think about a personal responsibility in in searching for wisdom and what that might look like? I think I think the key, and I alluded to it earlier. I think the key is is, is relationship. I, I don't do this on my own. I do this in in relationship with with the living God, um, and as a disciple of Christ, you know that relationship that comes through Christ. Um, 
And so what that means, it takes the pressure off me to have all the answers um, because I have to, I have to deal with, with life in its, in, in, the, in its own confusion. Yeah. I think everybody has areas of their life which, which don't make sense to them, which they're struggling with, where uh, they have to keep stepping out in faith, trusting that things will work out, where things look impossible. And ultimately it's, it, it's facing one's own mortality as well. Um, and I think, I think, was it, was it Einstein who said, he said that the most, the, the most, um, one of the, one of the deepest questions we have to ask is, is do I live in a friendly or unfriendly universe? And ultimately does God have my back? And as a disciple of Christ, I can say, I confidently believe he does because he's, he's brought Jesus into the world. Jesus, who's lived a perfect life, who came in weakness and vulnerability, who died. And so, that there, there's a verse uh, again. Paul in Corinth to, to the church in Corinth writes, "God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God." By which I understand he means that God has, as it were, put the punishment that I deserve onto Christ. But what that means is that I am now completely accepted by God. I am His beloved child. He delights in me, like a like a father delights in his own child, not because of anything good about me. But because of, but because of, uh, but because of of um, the relationship that has been made through Jesus' death on the cross, through, through 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 that sacrifice, and so all the infinite riches of God become mine in Jesus. And you know, we were talking earlier on about you know the vastness of the universe and everything. So if God is infinite then infinity plus nothing in God's mathematics equals infinity equals equals infinity plus everything. So what that's saying is that he who has God and nothing has exactly the same as he who has God and everything. So that really begins to say that no matter what life throws at me, if I'm secure and confident in his love for me and his acceptance of me, then I can handle anything that life throws at me. I may not feel it, but I, I can trust him to guide me through through the vicissitudes and the challenges of life. Um, and going back to serenity prayer, trusting that all things will work out and that I'm mean, reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. And that you're using these problems and difficulties and trials for your greater purposes. I mean, it's, it doesn't mean to say it won't be painful and there won't be, there won't be periods of confusion. But I, but I carry on trusting that someone does have my back and someone does know the way forward. But I don't have to have the answers. It seems to connect with, I have a, a note for a question about clarity. Like as you bring up Einstein and in these different types of questions of knowing your stance on and, and maybe, you know, whatever question comes to mind for a particular listener, but knowing like that Einstein question of identifying, having some clarity around where you particularly stand to make sense of life when you're faced with life's difficulties or, you know, even just the everyday navigating life of where you particularly stands, like how do you think about clarity 
if you will, around some of these questions. You have lots of questions in the book. Yes. I mean, the way I put the clarity in, in, in the book, I talk about the four basic questions of life. are related, and, and the order is important. It's being, who am I called to be in terms of, you know, in, in the different roles I play, you know, as, as a parent, as a husband, as a, as, as, a, as a work colleague, as, you know, as a member of a faith community in society. How do I relate to others? What am I called to? You know, relate you know, within family again, but you know this, this global village that we're part of, and now we can connect around the world. How do we relate to others? Which are the relationships that, that that I need to prioritize, and the ones that I I can allow to come and go? Then doing what am I called to do that no one else can do? And then ultimately leaving. You know, no matter what I have, I'm going to have to leave. The, this earth but also you know leaving in terms of transitions you know i leave a job i leave i move i move home somewhere else um how do i handle those but those are the four big questions of life being relating doing and leaving and getting the order is really important because we so often behave as human doings when actually we're human beings first and being and relating i think the, the wise thing is being and relating precede doing but so often we think that i have to by doing is is it i will get but actually if, if i haven't got my being and relating right no, no matter how much doing i do i'll always have this inner sense of restlessness because i won't be content with myself and i'll feel that you know when i achieve that particular goal or i i i, I get that amount of money or i i get that relationship then i'll know that i've arrived and, and i'll be content and happy no no the contentment and happiness starts now and then you create the environment within which you grow and develop and, and, and those other things come. It seems to be an important idea and system, if you will, or process. As we were talking about maybe theoretical knowledge, that gap between putting wisdom into practice in daily life, it seems like these four questions that you identified are a huge step towards closing that that gap mm -hmm. yes absolutely um yeah i mean I, I, others 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 talk about it in different ways i think covey talks about it in terms of to live to love to learn and to leave a legacy he, he talks about it in, in those terms um they're very simple questions but i think you know as we get adults and as we grow up we we, we make them more and more complicated um i mean life does certainly does get does get more complicated and i think that's one of the big challenges um as we get older is what are the essential things? Um, cause I've only really got so much energy and capacity to deal with everything coming at me. I've got to filter out. I've got to have some kind of system within which I decide this is important. This, this needs my focus and attention and the other stuff can wait or I'll come or, 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 dis or be discarded. Well, this has been great. The conversation has definitely flown by. I want to ask you a, a final wrap up question. If I could, you close the book with this final tribute to your to your friend, which I was really really moved by. And and there's something you write in there that you wish you would have been able to share some of these lessons in the book. And maybe this is a difficult question, but if you had to pick maybe only one lesson to share, what would it what would it be? I would say um, 
I'd say hunger and thirst for wisdom. Yeah, I think because you're right. Because I mean, in a sense, it was, it was Bunty's Abhishek Banerjee, Bunty, my friend, who died suddenly, who the book's dedicated to, uh, and he died suddenly at the age of 32, and it really rocked my world because it was so left field. I, I, I didn't see it coming, um, and it raised so many questions in my own life. Um, and as I say in the book, you know, when I look back on our 10 year friendship, it was he, he was coming like a younger brother to me. He was like a younger brother to an old brother, asking for wisdom with, he had you know, lots of different challenges in his life about where he was going, what he was doing. Um, I have a quote from Jim Rohn I use at the beginning. I says, don't wish it was easier, wish you were better. Don't wish for less problems, wish for more skills. Don't wish for less challenges, wish for more wisdom. And I think that's probably the biggest lesson is, is hunk, keep hungering and thirsting for wisdom. Don't, um, don't let up. Never feel you've arrived. Um, because there's always more to know. Um, and I think an important measure of if you're actually growing wisdom is, is it increase, is it leading to a greater childlike wonder and reverence for life and for others? Or is it leading to a sense of superiority and ego? That's, that's the danger thing. That's the danger mark. It should actually lead to, yeah, to, um, to becoming more fully, you know, you alluded to becoming more fully alive and more, um, as it were, reverent about, about the life we've been given and, uh, and the joy of living and, and, and love and respect for others. Is it, is it doing that? Mm. Well, I love it. Beautiful book that you've written. Um, I have great appreciation for your work in the world. Where would you point listeners that are interested in learning more about you and, and maybe connecting? Thank you so much. Well, yeah, so, so the, business, the book is available on, um, on Amazon, Kindle, Audible. Uh, we do have a, a workbook that goes with the book called, if you just go to drsunil.com slash workbook, uh, you, you can download it from there. Um, and that's a sort of guide that, that takes you through that. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I have a YouTube channel, Just Dancing With Wisdom, uh, and a podcast, Dancing With Wisdom. So you, you can catch me there as well. All right, love it. Well, we'll link everything in the show notes. I encourage the listeners to check it out. Dr. Sunil Raheja, thank you so much for coming on In Search of Wisdom. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Joshua. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. You can get the show notes and links to resources mentioned at perennialleader.com slash podcast. If you're interested in learning more, subscribe to The Path. It's our free weekly newsletter. These are short reflections on wisdom for everyday life right to your inbox. And lastly, I urge you to put what you heard into practice.